Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Kara tonight. And our topic is the river of God. Let me explain a little bit about this. Uh, scripture, the Bible, is full of rivers. There are rivers at the very beginning of Genesis. There are rivers all the way at the end of the book of Revelation. In the prophets, often the prophets are having visions that are occurring next to rivers. And it's emphasized that this vision was happening next to a river. One time a prophet even has a vision where he sees one angel standing on one side of the river and one angel standing on the other side of a river. And what do these rivers in Scripture mean? That's what we'll be looking at tonight. Let me read a statement about who we are. We're the Spirit and Life Bible Study, which looks at the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens. The name comes from Jesus himself, who says that his words are spirit and they are life. Spirit, meaning that his words have a spiritual and heavenly meaning and purpose, and life, meaning that his words are alive and aim to bring us to life by teaching us how we are to live if we wish to become spiritual and heavenly. And since Jesus is the Word made flesh, what he says of his words applies to all the words of the Bible. They all teach who he is and how to get from hell to heaven. And I'm sending greetings out to you who are watching online or listening to the audio or listening on the phone. And those of you who are here in the flesh, uh, we're having a rather snowy evening here in eastern Pennsylvania. Uh, but, the, uh, but the Lord is good. He's brought us together. And let's open with a prayer, shall we, friends? We may be more of a you than an O tonight, but that's fine. Landon, we need your long arms. <laughs> Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for bringing us together in your name. You are the Word made flesh. We pray, Lord God, that you come down, bow down the heavens, and be with us tonight as we wish to understand your scriptures and what is this river of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, friends. Good fun, good fun. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed, we had some Bible studies in the past on clouds, and it's very interesting that the clouds in Scripture do not behave like clouds in real life. They're somewhat like clouds, but they behave in uncloud-like ways and they move in uncloud-like ways. The rivers in Scripture, too, are somewhat unriver-like. Uh, they don't behave entirely, you know, the, the imagery is consistent of a lot of water running through a channel, but the way that they form and so on is a little different uh, than what we're used to. So let's have a look at the very beginning. Let's go to Genesis. We'll go the right way around this week for a change. And uh, let's start in Genesis chapter 2, starting at the 8th verse about the Garden of Eden, because a very important feature of the Garden of Eden was that it had a, a river. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Hmm. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted oh. and became four river heads. Oh, you know, see, this is, this is a little unriver-like. You know, generally speaking, uh, I know you can just have a spring here or so on, but often what happens with rivers is that they uh, 
rain falls over here, it falls over there, it falls over there, and it gathers in little streams, and then the streams combine to make a larger, you know, tributary, and then they all get together and they wind down until it becomes a wider and wider river. But this is going the other way. This is dividing. This is not uniting. You know, what rivers tend to do is that they unite as they go along until at least you get down to the end and you get a delta or something like that, and then they may divide again. But the, uh, generally, a river is, uh, if you picture a tree with all these branches, uh, you know, it's like all those little tributaries come together and then form the trunk, one river. But this river in Scripture is going the other way around, where it starts as, as one river, but then it splits into four. Is that what it said? That's what it said. Dugong. Four river heads. Yeah. The name we're of the reading in Genesis chapter 2, and we're now at verse 11. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. Wow, so this river is spreading out. You see what I mean? It's not behaving in a river-like way. It, it's, it's spreading out and encompassing all, all this land. Go on. And the gold of that land is good. Mm. Hmm. Bdellium and the onyx stone are there. Uh -huh. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. Well, there you go again. The, the, this river spreading out and covering more land as it goes. The, the name of the third river is Hittichel. It is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Thank you, and we'll, we'll stop there. I don't, we don't have any readings tonight, uh, but there are famous stories, and we've dealt with them a lot in previous Bible studies. Um, you know that they, obviously, they cross the uh, Red Sea. You know, the children of Israel, when they're getting out of Egypt, they cross the Red Sea, which is a very important moment, and then they wander for 40 years in the wilderness, and then they cross the Jordan River to get into the Holy Land, and that whole crossing, the whole way is described as extremely important. You know, obviously, that river is a really major thing. And uh, if you've been a real devotee of Bible study, you may have heard the fact that um, there are threats that if people are bad, uh, they'll go back out across the river. You know, they'll cross the Jordan the other way and, and go out of the land. Uh, so crossing in is something good and crossing out is something bad. Um, uh, there are also stories in the histories you know, Elijah will go out across the river and then he'll come back and Elisha does the same. And, and uh, there are often rivers and brooks uh, feature in uh, biblical stories. Uh, we're going to skip in the interest of time forward to the Psalms, which are about in the middle of your book. We want to go to the very first Psalm. Perhaps it's the best known Psalm. And it has this beautiful image, again, that involves... A river, but I think perhaps from this psalm we can start to see that rivers have a deeper meaning than just a bunch of water. Psalm, psalm one. 1. We'll start at verse 1 there. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Oh, Okay, so this is someone who's not doing a bunch of bad things, right? Mm -hmm. But instead, his delight is in the law of the Lord, okay? And in his law, he meditates day and night. Okay, good. He, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Oh, so this person is likened to a tree, 
and this tree is by rivers of water. Mm. Okay, go on. That brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. If you've ever been familiar with a, a desert land and so on, the, the water is such a precious resource, and you can even tell when you're driving on the highway from miles away, you can tell where there's water because you get all these trees that grow up around the water uh, because when you have those roots there. So what it's saying is that a person who delights in the law of the Lord is like a tree by a river. Wait a second. A person who delights in the law of the Lord is like a tree. So what's the tree? A person. The tree is the person. And so what's the river? The law of the Lord. It kind of has the to be, right? The law of the Lord. Uh -huh. Yeah, the person who delights in the law of the Lord uh, uh, is like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. And b because the law of the Lord, you see, it's non-literal, isn't it? And, and uh, the law of the Lord is acting like this nourishing force. Some people think the law of the Lord is some onerous, hard old law that, that we shouldn't have to be subject to and so on. Uh, but look at what this is saying, that if we live there planted by these rivers of water, the law of the Lord, uh, then you're bearing fruit in its season and the leaf does not wither and whatever you do prospers. It's just this picture of being nourished by the law of the Lord. And it's interesting too that, that um, the way the term law is used in Scripture Sometimes it just refers to the Ten Commandments. Sometimes it refers to all the different, uh, the 613, uh, you know, injunctions and statutes and so on in the Mosaic Law. Sometimes it refers to the five books of Moses. And sometimes it's the whole of Scripture. Hmm. So is it possible that this river, the law of the Lord, is this a picture of the Word? Is this a picture of being attached to Scripture so that you're nourished in some way by being attached to this and it makes you fruitful and your leaf doesn't wither. The fruit meaning your good actions and the leaf meaning your understanding, uh, that you, ha you have a good understanding, you have abundant truth. And whatever you do will prosper because you have love in your heart and truth in your mind. Wonderful. Uh, let's turn to the right to Psalm 46. Hmm. And this is, a, this is a beautiful statement. Let's read verses 1 to 5. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, hmm. and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Wow, you would think that would shake you up, but it says we're not going to be afraid of that because we know the, the Lord is our strength. Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Hmm. Selah. Well, how, how could you possibly be calm in the face of all that? Let's read on. There is a river. There is a river. Aha. There's a river. You're not dependent on just the mountains and the sea. There's also a river. Tell me about that river. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. The mm. holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. Mm. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. Yes, or in the wonderful language of the old King James, 
God shall help her and that right early. Yes. Um, God is in the midst of her. Hmm. There is a river and its streams will make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. Isn't that like the Garden of Eden where there's that river that's feeding the whole land and it goes out from there, goes out from the Garden of Eden and surrounds all of Ethiopia and these other wide areas and, and is nourishing them and so on. And so it sounds as though even when the sea is crazy or the mountains are falling apart or the earth is removed, you're not shaken by it because you have a river. Now a river is not, it doesn't feel like something that would be a, a tremendous solace in that way. It's always moving and, you know, and the level of the river may be changing or whatever. And yet when the whole world is going crazy, this river is a comfort. There's a, there's a consolation in it, isn't there not? It makes glad the city of God. And God is in the midst of her. Mm. She shall not be moved. God will help her. All right, that river. And look at Psalm 65 from which we get the phrase. It's the only time in Scripture that I know of that this phrase occurs. Let's look at 65 uh, verse 3 first. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you will provide atonement for them. Mm. Yes, in the Old King James, you shall purge them away. Mm. Mm. So it seems to me like it's a repentance kind of context. That's why I wanted to read that verse. Let's start at verse 5 and read on. By awesome deeds in righteousness, you will answer us, O God of our salvation. You who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of the far-off seas. Mm who established the mountains by his strength, being clothed with power. You who still the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, mm. and the tumult of the peoples. Can you read that without thinking of Jesus and those miracles in the New Testament where he calms the, you know, the Sea of Galilee and so on? Go on. They also who dwell in the farthest parts are afraid of your signs. You make the outgoings of the morning and evening rejoice. You visit the earth and water it. Ah, that's a very, very important statement to me. Okay, let's get back to that in a minute. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. Yes, in the Old King James it says, you greatly enrich it with the river of God, which is full of water. Ah. So you visit the earth and you water it. You greatly enrich it with the river of God, which is full of water. Go on. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. Mm. You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. Mm. You make it soft with showers. Mm. You bless its growth. You crown the year with your goodness, and your paths drip with abundance. Nice image. They drop on the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valley also are covered with grain. They, they shout for joy. They also sing. Yes. Now, people could say, well, this is just talking about physical rain. It's talking about the crops and so on. And I'm not saying it doesn't apply to that. They're, they're, it is amazing that this world is able to sustain and grow food and keep us alive and so on. Uh, the Lord does all those blessed things. But in the context of these somewhat unriver-like rivers, this river that comes out of the Garden of Eden and waters it, uh, this river 
uh, th that then divides into four and covers all this territory and these rivers the 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 person who loves the law of God is like a tree planted right by the river and gets nourished by that and so the leaf doesn't uh, wither and so on. I think he's talking about something more than just physical earth and physical water. Uh, a phrase like the river of God, how can that not be talking about something divine? And think about what water does. When I was thinking about this imagery of the river and so on, uh, water's amazing for seeking its own level, isn't it? I mean, almost it's if you, you want to find a low spot, just, you know, pour water over it and it'll just go to the lowest area. It's just automatic. Uh, it's always, you can tell, oh, there, you know, you drive down the hill and then there's the river at the bottom and you go up the other side to state the obvious. And um, so I think this has to do, the fact that it says you visit the earth and you water it, it's about the Lord coming all the way down, you know, a river of God is something divine that comes all the way down to that lowest level and blesses it. That's the nature of that river, an abundant truth that comes all the way into the lowest area and wants to do work, wants to make us feel safe, to heal us, and so on. Um, good, good, good. Oh, yeah, there's, um, you know, uh, let's go to... Isaiah chapter 30, shall we? There's lots of these scriptures, but this is to your right. Okay. Hmm. Now let's start at verse... Uh, hmm. The end of verse 18, it says, Blessed are all those who wait for him. And then what does it say in verse 19? For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem... You shall weep no more. Okay, so this is a prophecy of the future. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When mm. he hears it, he will answer you. And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. For some reason, I love that expression. Yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore. But your eyes shall see your teachers. Mm. This is a condition in which you start to see what's good for you, where, where you're being led, and so on. And that make, becomes even clearer in the next verse. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. How handy is that? You're turning to the right or the left and you're being told, yes, this is the way, keep going, mm -hmm. go on. You will also defile the covering of your images of silver and the ornament of your molded images mm. of gold. You will throw them away as an unclean thing. You will say to them, get away. See, this again to me is sort of a repentance image, isn't it? <laughs> Laying aside the evil and so on. Then he will give the rain for your seed which will, with which you sow the ground and bread of the increase of the earth. It will be fat and plentiful in that day, your cattle will feed in large pastures. Likewise, the oxen and the young donkeys that work the ground will eat cured fodder, which hmm. has been winnowed with the shovel and fan. Hmm. There will be on every high mountain and on every high hill rivers and streams of waters in the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. Seems like an odd juxtaposition <coughs> of images. And uh, although you always do find rivers and streams and so on up in mountains you don't think of them 
you know, up there, they're usually down in the, you know, they're headed down into the valley and so on. But on every high mountain, on every high hill, there will be rivers and streams of waters in that day. And verse 26. Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days in the day that the Lord binds up the bruise of his people and heals the stroke of their wound. So again, do you see, this is in the language of Isaiah, which puts all kinds of different images that to our earthly mind don't belong together, but images of the light of the sun and the moon increasing greatly at the, at the same time as the Lord is binding up the breach of his people and healing the stroke of their wound. And it's associated with these rivers and streams on every high mountain and every high hill. And this is a, and this will be a time when you know what to do because you're getting guidance. You're hearing a word behind you saying, yes, this is the correct direction for you to go. You know, this is where to turn. So I think the river is related to that. It's like the river in Psalm 1, uh, that it's nourishing this person and enabling them to be fruitful and so on. Uh, have a look at, more briefly at chapter 32. Verses 1 and 2. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule with justice. A man will be as a hiding place from the wind. And now wait, it's making an analogy of what a person is going to be like at that time. So a person's going to be like what? A man will be as a hiding place from the wind. Yeah, you'll be like a hiding place from the wind. And a cover from the tempest. Huh. A person will be like that? Huh, a person will be like a safe harbor or sanctuary that you can go to when there's a storm going on. And what else will it be a person be like? As rivers of water in a dry place, mm. as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. Now, in that Psalm 1, the person was the tree and was by this body of water. Uh, here, the person is the river of water in a dry place. Have you ever had that experience when you were in need and, and you talked to just the right person and they said just the right thing, you know, like they were a river of water in a dry place. Mm -hmm. Just what was pouring out of their mouth was exactly what you needed to hear somehow. It's feeding you and so on. Isn't that a nice image to think that we would be? So Scripture is kind of winking at us and saying, look, don't, I'm not just talking about water and stuff like, you know, I'm saying people will be like that. I'm using a, a non-literal way of communicating. Have a look at Isaiah chapter 41. I want to read verses 17 and 18. The poor and needy seek water, but there is none. Their tongues fail for thirst. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in desolate heights hmm. and fountains in the midst of the valleys. Oh. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. It's beautiful. Isn't it? so, so the Lord is going to make a great increase of water. And again, I don't think this is talking about physical water. This is talking about the increase of truth that's going to come in our world in the future. Uh, now, Waters also, I hasten to say, can be a very negative image. Obviously, in the Old Testament, you have the flood that destroys everything on the face of the earth. And there are many rivers that are 
that are bad. Uh, the children of Israel say at some point that they were by the waters of Babylon and their captors required of them a song, but how can they sing the Lord's song in a strange land and all that. Um, look at uh, chapter 43 because you'll see uh, a negative imagery of rivers and how the Lord will help us. Just the first two verses there. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Isn't that nice? And through the rivers, they shall not overflow mm. you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. Mm, reminiscent of so many things. Uh, really, those, uh, in a sense, the rivers, the Red Sea and the Jordan that were crossed were potentially deadly things, and they stopped so they could cross on dry land. So that was kind of a negative image of a river that they were able to go over just because it wasn't being river-like for that moment. And so the Lord says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you through the rivers. They won't overflow you. That's talking about a negative, like floods of bad ideas of, you know, uh, trash talking spirits in your head and so on, all that. The Lord will be with us. Uh, Isaiah 48. How about that? How about 48? Mm. Another interesting little tidbit here, verses 16 to 18. Come near to me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. For the, from the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and his spirit have sent me. Thus says the Lord, your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. Mm. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your peace would have been like a river. Isn't that interesting? If you follow the commandments, you see how often the Lord's protection of us is associated with the commandments. We've seen that several times already this evening. And the Lord said, I wish you'd followed my commandments. Then your peace would be like a river. Mm -hmm. And what did it say? It said the man who delights in the law of the Lord is like a tree planted by rivers of water. Um, there's something about the relationship of the word and the commandments to us that has to do with this peace. Uh, turn to the right to Jeremiah, which comes up immediately there, and go for chapter 17. All right, all right, all right. Okay, we're getting the good stuff up in here. 17. It's all been good. I mean, no insult to any other part of Scripture. Uh, we'll start at verse 5. How about that? Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and, oh. mm -hmm. and makes flesh his strength. Aha. Uh -huh. You're cursed if you trust in other people. Like you really lean on them as if they were your God or something and, and they make flesh your strength. Whose heart departs from the Lord. It's not talking about doing this in a godly way. It's like abandoning the Lord and then leaning on other people. What would we be like if we're like that? For he shall be like a shrub in the desert oh. and he shall not see when good comes mm. but shall inhabit the parched places oh. in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. Oh, in a salt land. Okay, remember that. In a salt land 
and not inhabited. These are parched places and salty marshes or what have you. And Go on. Blessed. Blessed. So that was cursed. Mm -hmm. If you trust in yourself, look to your own strength or flesh will be your strength and so on. That's what you end up like. How about, how do we get blessed? Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters. He will. Which spreads out its roots by the river. Wait, we heard this already. Mm -hmm. And will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green Mm. and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Look at that, huh? Mm. And then it says down in verse 10 that the Lord searches the heart and gives to everyone according to their ways, according to the fruit of our doings. Uh, So this is we have some determination of whether we live by a river or we live in a parched land or a salt marsh or something. Uh, Have a look at Jeremiah chapter 31. This is another foretelling of what will happen in the future, which I believe applies to this Christianity version 2.0 I talk about sometimes. Look at verses 8 and 9 in there. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the ends of the earth. Hmm. Among them the blind and the lame, the woman with child and the one who labors with child together. A great throng shall return there. Aha, so this is a great throng coming back into the Holy Land. Go on. They shall come with weeping and with supplications I will lead them. Hmm. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. Mm. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Isn't that beautiful? So the Lord will cause the people to walk by the rivers of water, and they won't, they won't stumble. You know, they'll, they'll be safe and taken care of because of that. So often it's associated with protection, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay, now turn to the right, and we'll get to Ezekiel. Ezekiel and Daniel both have visions by rivers. We don't have time to read them all in detail, but have a look at the first uh, verse of Ezekiel chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Kibar. Now this river is not a river in the Holy Land. This is a river Kibar, which is over in Babylon. That the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. Huh. He was by a river, and he saw visions of God. Okay. And uh, let's read verse 3. The word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kibar. He was by the river Kibar. And the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Yes. So he's having visions by this river. Now look at chapter 3, verse 15. He has this tremendous vision, and look at verse 15. We don't have time to get into all the visions that he sees, but it's, it's the wheels and the creatures and all kinds of things. Then I came to the captives at Tel Abib, who dwelt by the river Kibar. So they're living there by the river. And I sat where they sat and remained there, astonished among them seven days. And that's right. And in verse 23, we read this not too long ago, where the hand of the Lord was upon Ezekiel, and he said, Go forth into the plain, and I'll talk to you there. Remember that? And in verse 23. 
So I arose and went out into the plain, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there, like the glory which I saw by the river Kibar. Aha, so he'd seen this river, by, this glory by the river, and now he's going out into a plain, and he sees that same glory, and he falls on his face. So you see, he's seeing things by rivers, and look at Ezekiel chapter 10, and again he has this vision of the wheels, and this time they're cherubims, these these uh, glorious kind of otherworldly kind of frightening creatures that represent protection. And look at verse 15 in chapter 10. And the cherubim were lifted up. This was the living creature I saw by the river Kibar. Yes, visions by the river. Okay, and in Ezekiel 29. This is the opposite kind of river. I just, I love this passage for some reason. Just revealing my perversity, but uh, uh, 29, picking up at the first verse there. We'll read a few verses. In the tenth year, in the tenth month, on the twelfth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy against him and against all Egypt. Mm. Speak now, Egypt is associated with that massive river. They have the the Nile, this huge river that feeds this massive area and combines into one great river and then goes down and turns into the delta as it goes out into the sea. Go on. Speak and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Pharaoh, king of Egypt, O great monster who lies in the midst of his rivers, who has said, my river is my own. I have made it for myself. Okay. See, that's not the attitude to have is... I'm a big sea monster, I made this river, and it's mine. You know, that's the wrong type of approach to have. What will the Lord do to such an attitude? I will put hooks in your jaws oh. and cause the fish of your rivers to stick to your scales. <laughs> it's not something even your parents threaten you with when you're young. <laughs> you know, watch out, you'll be a sea monster, and then fish will stick to your scales. Um, go on. I will bring you up out of the midst of your rivers, and all the fish in your rivers will stick to your scales. <laughs> I will leave you in the wilderness, you and all the fish of your rivers. You shall fall on the open field. You shall not be picked up or gathered. I have given you as food to the beasts of the field and to the birds of the heavens. And it goes on in, in that fashion. It's just a wonderful picture of, of Pharaoh being this kind of sea monster. But his mistake is identifying with the river, thinking that he created the river. Here it has to do with all that knowledge. We talked about out of Egypt a few weeks ago. It has to do with that knowledge and self-based power kind of thing. And isn't that wonderful that this great sea monster lies in the middle of the river and says, the river's mine and I made it for my... You know, you don't make rivers. I don't know anybody who makes... You know, uh, He says he's made the river for himself. The Lord's going to pull him out of there. And, by the way, look down in verse 9 there. Mm -hmm. It says, The land of Egypt shall be desolate and waste, and they shall know that I am the Lord, because, he said, the river's mine and I made it. You know, that's why he's getting hauled out of the river, is, because, is exactly because he said that. Mm -hmm. uh, now, how about Ezekiel 32? Hmm. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Yes, this is about Pharaoh again. Let's just read the first couple of verses there. How about verse 2? Son of man, take up a lamentation for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say to him, 
You are like a young lion among the nations, and you are like a monster in the seas, uh-huh. bursting forth in your rivers, oh. troubling the waters with your feet and fouling their rivers. Yes. So this is the ego, right? Getting into all this flowing knowledge and truth and so on and troubling the water with your feet and fouling the river and so on. And then the Lord threatens that he'll get a net and pull them out and and uh, so on. Uh, awesome stuff. Ezekiel 43, chapter 43. Look at verses 1 to 3. Afterward, he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces toward the east. Ah, okay. Now, this is in those last nine chapters of Ezekiel where he sees this vision of this temple in the spiritual world, and he's looking at this gate from this other world, the Jerusalem, and the gate faces to the east, okay? And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. Uh Uh-huh. His voice was like the sound of many waters. Oh, his voice, like waters, and the water in the river, like the law of the Lord. And in that other one, it said, you'll hear a voice behind you telling you which way to go. These things all seem to be connected. Go on. And the earth shone with his glory. It was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city. The visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Kibar, Oh, and I fell on my face. Okay, by the river Kibar. He saw visions by Kibar, and he fell on his face. Now, look at Ezekiel 47. I just find this very beautiful. Let's, uh, oh, I think we'll have to read like 12 verses of this. Let's start at the beginning of 47. I think we got some time for this. This is a very important image. Now, to understand this, you need to understand that Jerusalem sits high up on a bluff, right? It's on Mount Zion. And then there's a huge drop, not only down to sea level, but to over a thousand feet below sea level, all the way down to the Dead Sea, which is nothing but salt and no fish can live in it because it's just been getting saltier and saltier. I think it's 1,362 feet below sea level, but I might be mixing up my feet and my meters or something. But anyway, so if you picture Jerusalem high up and then straight eastward is just this plunge all the way down to the Dead Sea, okay? So that's an important image. But Ezekiel is in the spiritual Jerusalem that's talking about the future. Let's hear what he has to say. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. Aha. Uh-huh. So there's water. Where is it flowing from? From under the threshold of the temple. Huh. Water's flowing from under the threshold of the temple, and it's flowing east, as it would. That's, that's like downhill, you know? Okay, go on. For the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, mm. south of the altar. South of the altar, Okay. He brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gateway that faces east. Okay. And there was water running out of the right side. There's water running out of Jerusalem. Yeah, there's water running out of the temple. Okay. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand. This man happens to be an an angel, angel. by the way. That's right. Uh, He measured 1,000 cubits and he brought me through the waters. The water came up to my ankles. Oh. Hmm. So there was water that came out from under the threshold, but he goes a thousand cubits out, like 1,500 feet or something, and the water's up to his ankles. 
Okay. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters. The water came up to my knees. Now, wait a minute. How is the water getting deeper? Like it's only got one source. But the water is getting deeper the farther away from... Mm -hmm. hmm. That's interesting. Like usually rivers do get deeper, but it's because so many tributaries feed in that you're really dealing with 20 or 40 rivers. And so it's getting deeper and deeper, all the water summing together. But this is only one source, and yet it's getting deeper as you go eastward. Okay, go on. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through. The water came up to my waist. Up to his waist. Again, he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep, water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. Mm. Now, yes, rivers to some extent behave this way, but there's something odd going on that this, this same water, this one water source is getting deeper the farther away from the source you get. Uh, you know, it's a little bit magical. Go on. He said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Now, you see what he means? He means like, pay attention to this. This is non-literal. This is not, you know, go on. Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. The bank of the river. Okay. When I returned there, when I returned there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. Ah, there were very many trees on the bank of this river that he's seeing in this vision of the future. Very many trees. Now, that part of the world is very much of a desert right now. Um, go on. Then he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley, and enters the sea. It goes down into the valley. Now, of course, that's what water does. It goes down. But this water is going down into the valley and out to the sea, okay? When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. The sea, the, the sea's waters. Oh, its waters oh, are healed. So the waters of the sea are not healed. See, usually, as I understand the way water works, uh, if you have dirty water and you pour clean in water in, no matter how clean the clean water is, it gets dirty because of the dirty water. Mm -hmm. But this is working the other way around. This clean water from the temple is actually cleaning the dirty water in the sea. Mm -hmm. It's healing it, right? And this is the water of the Dead Sea. I mean, this is this, is this place that's way below sea level, lowest place on the surface of the earth. Go on. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the rivers go, will live. So they turned into multiple rivers. Like one river came multiple rivers, and everything there will live. The Dead Sea is characterized by this astounding lack of life because it's so salty. Go on. There will be a very great multitude of fish. Oh, a multitude of fish. Why will there be fish? Because these waters go there. Oh. For they will be healed and oh. everything will live wherever the river goes. Wherever the liver, river goes, it brings things to life. Wherever that river goes, phoom, life erupts, breaks forth. Go on. It shall be that fishermen will stand by it from Engedi to Eneglion. They will be places for spreading their nets. Mm. Their a waste of time to try fishing there now mm -hmm. mm. in, the, in the flesh. Their fish will be of the same kinds as the fish of the great sea, exceedingly many. Uh-huh. 
But its swamps and marshes will not be healed. Oh, is that like that salt land? They will be we given over about? to salt. They will be given over to salt. Okay, so you have the salty places and so on. Okay, go on. Along the bank of the river, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Oh. Their leaves will not wither. And oh, they won't? And they won't wither? Their fruit will not fall. Oh, I see. Okay. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Aha, the water flowing from the sanctuary. Aren't we back in Psalm 1 a little bit here? The water flowing from the sanctuary is giving fruit every month, right? And what else? Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. Wow. Now, what does that remind you of? We'll read that in a minute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the fruit will be for food and the leaves will be for medicine. Wow. So here's an image of this river that the farther it goes, it splits into multiple rivers and it brings life everywhere it goes. And so there's such an abundance of fish that you've got fishermen just lining the banks and you've got trees bearing fruit all the time, all year round, bearing fruit, bearing fruit, because the whole place that's now very, very dead vegetatively has just come to life because of, these, because of this river that's coming out of the sanctuary. That's jolly nice, isn't it? So turn to the right and go to Daniel chapter 8. Daniel comes up right very next there. Just a few more things to read and then we'll say a few comments. Daniel chapter 8, yes. Let's look at verses 2 to... Let's start at verse 2 anyway. I saw in the vision... Oh, this is Daniel and he's having a vision, okay. And it so happened while I was looking that I was in Shushan, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision that I was by the river Ulai. Oh, another prophet having another vision by another river. <laughs> Go on. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and there, standing beside the river, was a ram which had two horns. And then it goes on about the ram and so forth, and then he sees this goat, and the whole vision takes place by this river. Uh, good. Then in chapter 10, so this is what I was alluding to at the beginning, that there are a bunch of things that happen by rivers. Uh, look at 10 verse 4. This is Daniel again. Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked. And behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Uphaz. Yes, and he says this astounding vision of this person. Uh, and look at verse 7. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Yes, and Daniel was quite shaken by the vision too. You know, another overpowering vision that happens to him by a river. Curious. And look at Daniel chapter 12, very last chapter there. And he's been talking to an angel. An angel's been talking to him for several chapters here. And then in verse 5 of 12, what do we read? Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others. One two on other angels, in other words, right? Ah. One on this riverbank, and the other on that riverbank. Sort of like the trees that were lining the banks of the river, right? On either side. So he sees two angels, one on this side of the river, and one on the other side of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, 
How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. Mm, that's right. And it goes on from there. So he sees these two angels on either side of this river. All these visions that Ezekiel and Daniel had by rivers. Okay, now turn to the right. We go, I want to find um, Zechariah. In some ways, it might be easiest if you turn all the way to Matthew and then back up too, because it's the second to last of these minor prophets. And I want Zechariah chapter 14, which is the last chapter in there. Zechariah 14, verses 8 and 9. Again, a prophecy from a different prophet about what will happen eventually in that day, quote-unquote. And in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem. Oh. Half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. Now, again, it's not quite river-like behavior, I submit, uh, to have it start in one spot and then split up and go in two opposite directions. You know, rivers don't usually do that, to go in two opposite directions, one toward the east, one toward the west, and it'll be flowing whether it's summer or winter. And what else in verse 9? And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Mm. In that day it shall be, the Lord is one and his name one. Yes, that's what it will be like. Okay. And turn to the right, we'll get to Matthew. We just got a few in the New Testament, my good and patient friends. And then we'll talk a tiny little bit about this. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, of course. Um, John the Baptist goes out in verses 5 and 6 there. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him. And were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. In the river. So they get baptized in the river. That's the river Jordan is where John the Baptist is introducing people into Christianity, the same place where the children of Israel crossed through the river Jordan to get into the Holy Land. So in other words, a very important river. That, it was very important that uh, John the Baptist do his work there by a river. Um, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan and uh, confessed their sins, we read in verse 6. Okay, and have a look at John. So turn to the right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We'll go to chapter 7. Hmm. And let's read verses 37 and 38. The Lord is at this feast, and he suddenly stands up and cries out something interesting. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Mm. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Whoa. Now that other scripture that we read said that people who follow the Lord will be like a shady place, like a place of refuge from the storm, and like a river in a dry place, right? Mm -hmm. And here the Lord is saying, come to me and drink. But if you do that, if you really give, give yourself to that, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water, just like that sanctuary, right? Like the Garden of Eden, you have water flowing out. 
the, from that uh, temple in Jerusalem in Ezekiel's vision. Um, wow. Rivers of living water will flow through us under the right circumstances, it sounds like. And let's turn to the right, go all the way to the back of your book, to the book of Revelation, because as we so often do, we're going all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And look at Revelation chapter 7. And it's talking about all these people who have come out of this great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, a much misunderstood statement, but it has to do with divine truth cleansing the way that they live. And let's read verse 15 to 17 there. Therefore they are before the throne of God mm. and serve Him day and night in His temple. Temple. Okay. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. Living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Yes, so this idea of this living water source is part of all these different visions of what will eventually happen in our world. And um, in Revelation 21... Uh, of course, verse 6, you have this famous statement. Oh, 21, 21, verse 6. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Mm, that's right. And, uh, and then chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. Now, we never read those words before in all these river passages, have we? We never heard that the river was clear. But now the river is clear as crystal. Mm. Proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, this is a, little, it's a lot like Ezekiel's temple, but it's a little different that it comes from the throne. Last time it came under the threshold, right, in Ezekiel 47. Go on. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. Oh, which is just like the tree of life in the Garden of Eden at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the, new, of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Yes, so that's a lot like Ezekiel's statement of all these trees lining this river. And, and the, the trees will be for food, the fruit will be for food. And then the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And uh, in verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Yes, that's right. And so there will be a time in the future. I believe what this means is there will be a time in the future when water, when this divine truth is flowing abundantly. Let me show you a quick illustration, my friends. Of, this is just a little diagram that I drew. For those of you who are getting the audio, it just looks basically like, I don't know, capillaries, like you know, blood vessels or something. It's this tributary of all these different uh, streams coming together to form one river. So everything's flowing down here, getting thicker and thicker. That's the way I picture rivers normally going, that they're fed by springs and rain water and, and so forth and so on. 
But think about the rivers that we just heard about. I picture them going more like this, which is they're coming down just straight down. I've got a picture of water just boom, coming straight down, and it gets wider as it goes. This water's flowing out of the throne, or it's flowing out from under the threshold, and more and more. Remember, it was up to his ankles, up to his waist, too deep. He can't, you know, has to swim to get across it. And the water goes down and down all the way into that place where it's, it's um, you know, it's down into the Dead Sea where nothing was alive. I've just depicted sort of a, a marsh there or a salty area or something that wherever the waters go, they heal the place and they create life. I think what's going, what this image is, is a picture of divine truth. See, there's truth from the Lord and truth issues from the Lord. The Lord is like a sun in the spiritual world and there's light and heat that goes radiating out from the Lord. Uh, the nature of his truth is that it's not content. He says in Isaiah 55, as you remember, that his word is going to be like the rain and like the snow that comes down from heaven. It doesn't return to him void. It gets done what he wants it to do and it'll prosper in the thing for which he sent it. Just as it says the man who lives by the you know, the rivers of water will, will prosper. Everything he does will prosper and so on. And so I picture this as being like an inflowing of divine truth coming down from the Lord. And it's almost like it increases as it, as it comes down. You know, first just up to the ankles, then up to the waist, then, then completely covering and going out. That's like that river from the Garden of Eden that can cover whole areas because it's getting more as it goes. It's getting more abundant. And the nature of divine truth is that it wants to come. Divine I used to think of divine truth as being like abstractions or something. But divine truth is really the marching orders of how to get from hell to heaven. And it's not just marching orders, but it's insight, it's motivation. It's everything we need to get from, from hell to heaven. And it flows down. It may come down through our higher mind but it wants to go to the outermost area. It wants to go to the lowest, deadest thing in our life and bring us to life. It, it doesn't want to rest until the deadest, most external, lousy part of our lives is full of fish, just like the great sea, is covered with abundant trees full of food and fishermen just lining the banks and spreading out their nets uh, so full of life. Everything about the Lord wants to come down into, into this world, wants to come down into the lowest level of our lives. So that's what I think that river is doing. It comes out of the sanctuary, and this corresponds to the Word. You know, the Word is a very pure stream, the law of the Lord. When we delight in this law of the Lord, then we're like a tree that's planted by that river and will never run out of truth. We'll have truth that will change our mind, that will change our heart, that will change our life, uh, that will show us a way to go. It'll be like a word behind us telling us which way to go. This is the river of God. There is a river. There is a river. Sometimes in our world, it's like, you know, what, what, did, what didn't Pilate say? What is truth? It's like, you know, is there really like such a thing, isn't it just kind of your opinion versus my opinion or something? It's nice to know there is a river. There is a divine truth. And the divine truth is not just 
here's a fact, but here's a helping hand. I want to help you out of your hell. I want to cure your, your swamp, your marsh. I want to get things living in the outside of your life. You see, in the creation story, it's about water, right? And you have water above and water below. And then lo and behold, you know, there's all these fish that are, that are living in that water, which is talking about truth, even in the outermost level of our lives, that we have understanding at every level of our lives. That's the river of God that the Lord wants to, to give us. And so the word can be the river of God to us, depending on how we approach it. If we approach it in the right way, it can be a river of vision. It can show us why are there angels on one side and the other. I think these rivers also have to do with the boundary or what connects this world and the next. And that's why you have an angel on one side and an angel on the other. And when you cross that river, it's like crossing over to the other side or the veil opening up or whatever. Uh, and the Lord is on both sides and wants to draw us. If I'm lifted up, I will draw all to myself, he says. It's a river of vision that opens up the spiritual world. I think that's why the prophets saw all these visions. They see angels because they're by this, this river of truth, you know, this river of truth. And they're seeing things. It opens up the spiritual world, allows truth to pour in through our inner selves into even the lowest, deadest, salty, hopeless parts of our lives and bring them to life and, and abundance and productivity. It's a very nice, nice vision for us as individuals and a nice vision for our world. Uh, the end. Would you care to join me in a closing prayer, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the river of God. You are the divine truth, the Word made flesh. We thank you, Lord. We wish to live beside you that your truth and your love might always nourish us and feed us, open up the eyes of our spirit to see the angels that are around us, to hear a word from you behind us, telling us this is the way, this is the way, walk in it. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May your reading of the word be like living by a river, good friends.